Father, we thank you for tonight as we come before your holy word. We pray that your word will minister to your people in simplicity and in clarity of speech. Thank you for what we will learn tonight. As your truth is being on earth in the book of Philippians by the master teacher in the Holy Spirit. Amen. Uh, well, thank you all for your contribution. Like we said, last week we just did an introductory lesson on the book of Philippians. We looked at the history of the Philippian church and how it started. And record of that is in Acts chapter 16, verse 12 to 40. Um, Paul started the church in pains. You know, the, um, the, one of the prices he had to pay for the establishment or the foundation of the Philippian church was he was put in jail, being falsely accused. It happened in Philippi. And in Macedonia, to be precise. And we, look, we looked at that. We established that the church was established AD 51. We also looked at Paul's relationship with the church. Um, it, it is said that probably of all the churches he established, this was the one he was closest to. Um, even the tone of the book suggests so, because his tone is very warm, tender, and affectionate towards the Philippian church. He loved them. Uh, this church also supported Paul. Of all the churches that Paul established, this was the one that communicated effectively with him. They didn't just communicate with him concerning his whereabouts. They also ministered to him to make sure that his welfare was taken care of. They sent money on a regular basis. If I were, Paul was in Corinth, he said that I didn't ask anything of you, the Corinth church. I worked with my hands. And number one, so Paul, one, one source of Paul's income was from the work he was doing in Corinth. And the second uh, stream of income was the daily contribution or the regular contribution from the Philippian church. If, I, if, you, dug, if you look at this from a very historical context, of all the churches Paul went to, Corinth was one of the richest cities, which had rich people in the church, but they didn't even bother to support Paul. It's so amazing. Most of the churches that really excelled in giving were poor churches. Amen. And I wouldn't want to go into that. Anyway, so we, we looked at that from 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 8 to 9, and 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 15 to 16. The Church of Philippi played a constant role in maintaining the upkeep of Paul. Amen. We looked at joy, and like some of you have described, joy is a Christian virtue. It's a fruit of the Spirit. When we become Christians as a result of being born again or receiving Christ into our lives, one of the virtues we receive is joy. It constitutes the fruit of the Spirit. There are nine parts that make up the fruit of the Spirit. One of the nine parts is called joy. So it's a virtue. It's a state of being. It's not an emotion. It's different from happiness. Uh, we looked at some differences between joy and happiness. And I believe by now we all know that. Um, one of the things we have to buttress on is an aspect of joy has to do with the eager expectation of the return of the Lord Jesus. So, to really know that you have joy, 
how eager, how expectant are you of the return of our Lord Jesus? You know, there are some people when they hear that, their heart skips a beat. There are some people when they hear that, as if they, 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 we've told them that they've been diagnosed with a terminal disease. You see, but different reactions to, wow, Jesus is coming soon. Uh, that, that's one of the ways to gauge whether you truly have joy. If the coming of the Lord makes you sad, that is something that is worrying. And above all, when we read um, Philippians chapter 1, verse 5, we saw three things about Paul. Because he had joy, he was able to thank God or worship God. Paul was a worshiper. He was in jail. Mind you, he wasn't in a very comfortable situation. But he said, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. He was still able to thank God in jail. He was a worshiper. So when you have joy, no matter what goes on around you, you will still maintain your gratitude and your thankfulness. The second thing that we see in verse 5 was Paul prayed. He had a consistent prayer life. He prayed daily. Prayed on Monday, Tuesday. He prayed right up to the end of the week. And then he will start at the beginning of the week. How is your prayer life? Get your prayer life. If you don't have a regular, consistent prayer life, I don't know whether joy is being made perfect in you. Because from this man who authored this book, who talked on the subject of joy, when joy is prevalent in your Christian life, in your spiritual walk with God, you maintain a daily prayer walk. The third thing that we see here is that Paul had joy. He made his request with joy. Irrespective of where he found himself in, he had joy. And, when we, and last week, I believe we mentioned that when we talk of joy, joy is not just cackling laughter, you know, LOL, laughing out loud, and, and that sort of thing. That is not really joy, okay? Joy, joy means you, you look ahead of the tunnel. You are positive. You are confident. You, you believe that a positive outcome will come out of this situation. There are some people so negative that you can't do anything with them. One day someone said that, you know what? Believe that there is light at the end of the tunnel. I know you are in a dark tunnel, but believe that there is light at the end of the tunnel. The man just said, okay, what about the light at the end of the tunnel is, a, is an oncoming train? You see, very negative. You can't do anything with him. Amen. There are some people, no matter what you do, they are just going to be negative. Amen. But when you, are, when you have joy, you, you, you have a confidence, a positive expectation of good. You are hopeful. That is a sign of joy. Amen. So now let's continue. Verse 6. Being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Just as it is right for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you are all partakers with me of grace. 
For God is my witness, how greatly I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. You know, what Paul said in verse 6 confirms Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, that Christ is the author and the finisher of our faith. So what God has confidently begun in us, he's able to finish it. He's able to complete it. Is able to complete it. You see, you, you, you can never run the A to Z of this Christian race by your own strength. You will need the Lord Jesus. I like one of the versions. It says that he's the pioneer perfecter. It's not just the author and the finisher. He's the pioneer. He perfects that which he starts. So when we receive Christ as our Lord and personal Savior, at that very inception, he's the author. And he will finish that which he started. Amen. So, Jesus is able to complete and perfect our redemption or our salvation because he's the author and the finisher of our faith. Paul, Paul's um, treatise here really lets us know that he believed that they will not fall wayward. They will not backslide. Even though he's not there. Even though he's, he's, he doesn't have apostolic oversight over them due to his present predicament, he believes that God is able to keep them safe. This is the heart of a shepherd. He's saying that I am very confident of this very thing. Yes, I might not be there. The presence of false teachers false theologies, false teachings are there. But I believe that Christ, who is the author of your faith, is able to confidently complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. I believe that's very encouraging. That when we lead people to Christ, in this year of knowing Christ, if you happen to lead someone to Christ, please let him know the author and the finisher of our faith. Because when you lead someone to Christ, the person can be a baby and uh, one of the signs of being a baby is that he can have that over-dependence on you. But you have to shift his or her over-dependence on you towards Christ who is able to perfect his or her faith. Amen. So I like that because what about one day if you are not there? You see, Paul was not there. His presence was felt. He was absent, but yet still he commended the church that he founded that I am very confident that when Christ starts something in you, he finishes it. This is in relation to salvation. Christ is the pioneer perfecter. He's the author and the finisher of our faith. We have to let people know that. We have to let new converts know that. We have to let people who have been in the church know that. That it's Christ that is able to complete that which he has started in us on the day of our new birth. And he will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. And what's the day of Jesus Christ? When he shall appear again. When he shall appear as a judge. That's the day of Jesus Christ. So, Christ is able to perfect that which concerns us. Salvation. Amen.
Verse 7. Just as it is right for me to think of this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my chains and the defense of the confirmation of the gospel, you are partakers with me of grace. For God is my witness, how greatly I long for you for all with the affection of Jesus Christ. So, right here, you see joy. Paul's devotion, Paul's love, Paul's affection for the church never changed. He could have been an air-conditioned house. His love, devotion, affection towards the church never changed. He could have had money. His love, his devotion, his affection for the church never changed. He could not have money. His love, devotion, affection for the church never changed. He could have been in a very uncomfortable situation or an uncomfortable space like prison. His love, devotion, and affection for the church never changed. Gauge your love work. Gauge your devotion work. Does it change? Paul answers something. It is always good to be zealously affected. Let me read that. I love that scripture. Give me one second. I want to find this scripture. Galatians chapter 4. Verse 18. This is Paul. Verse 18. But it is good to be zealously affected in a good thing always and not only when I'm present with you. You see, Paul's zeal, Paul's devotion never changed. He was talking to the Galatian church that it is good to have devotion. It is good to have affection in a good thing. And then he uses the word that is very important, always. Not sometimes, not majority of the time. How can you maintain your devotion for the things of God? How can you maintain your devotion for spiritual things? How can you maintain your devotion for things of eternal value? You can only do that if you have joy. You see, Paul was speaking from a place of joy. This is not theoretical. You have to come to a place 
where the fruit of joy is manifesting fully in you. And the fruit of joy will not manifest fully in you if you don't have an active, vibrant relationship with God. So Paul, even though he was in prison, his devotion was not switched off. His zeal didn't die. His affection never waned. He was still able to put his zeal at a very high frequency. Why? Because he had joy. This is what we want to explain. So, no matter what you find yourself in, one mark of joy is when you still have zeal for the things of God. That's why last week I cited the example of the man of God. Just the period of Easter, he lost his first son. Painful. Painful. Due to X, Y, Z reasons, nobody knows. I don't know. You know, we don't know the story. But he's dead. And then come August, he's preaching. Fervently, passionately, zealously. Ministering. And like I said, I just watched a short clip. But, you know, I was not so much focusing on the message. I was so much more enthralled with his posture. His posture and how he was ministered to me more than the message. And I was, as I was sitting there, I'm like, wow, this is joy. You, 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 can't do that. you can't do this if you don't have a strong relationship with God. Because one of the advantages of having a strong relationship with God is that the fruit of joy will fully be manifested in you. So sometimes, every believer has joy. Every believer, because it's a virtue. But sometimes, the reason why maybe we are not able to exhibit the qualities and the marks of a joyful Christian is perhaps we are not building that relationship with the Holy Spirit. We are not building that relationship with Christ that the fruit of joy will be fully manifested and be fully ripe in our life. Amen. When you talk about fruit, there's a difference between a ripe fruit and then half ripe. You know, one time the Lord spoke to Hosea about half baked leadership. He said, Ephraim is a cake unturned, it's half baked, it can't be used. You know? So when a, when a fruit is half ripe, when the fruit has not reached its place of ripening, you can't do much with it. If you're forced to use it, you will pay the consequence for it. That will not be good. So what I'm trying to say is that many of us have joy, but are we aligning the Holy Spirit to fellowship with us to the place that the fruit of joy will manifest strongly in our lives? So that's where we have to come to. So if you really want to experience joy, you don't experience joy by watching comedy. Although it's good to watch comedy. You don't experience joy by having a friend who can make you laugh. Although it's good to have friends who can make you laugh, people who can crack jokes. But that's not the source of joy. You don't experience joy by having a lot of money. 
your, your pay packet has increased, you've had a promotion, you've had the job of your dreams, all those things, we believe they are good. You know, receiving Christ as your Lord and personal Savior doesn't, present, doesn't prevent us from these niceties, doesn't present us from pleasure. The Lord wants us to have pleasure. He wants us to enjoy, right? First Timothy chapter 6, the, the Bible lets us know that it's the Lord that gives riches that you may enjoy and have pleasure. First Timothy chapter 6. So Christianity has nothing against pleasure. But the thing about it is that if you are going to make pleasure the source of joy, you, 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 you will find out later in your Christian work and in your Christian experience that you have really been deceived and you have been on a wild goose chase. None of these things can bring joy, true joy. It might bring happiness, but it might not bring joy. And as believers, we have to move beyond happiness. Okay, there is nothing wrong with being happy. It's a healthy emotion. But we have to move beyond happiness to entering into a state of contentment, a state of peace, a state of confidence, a state of peace called joy. I hope we all understand. So, Paul, looking at him here, he's in chains. Uncertain of his trial, whether he is going to die. You know, those days, prison was very vicious. It's very likely when you go to prison, your trial, especially when you are found to um, preach tenets of faith which are contrary to Judaist beliefs, you could just be beheaded straight. Or you could be nailed to the cross like a common criminal. These were the risks involved in propagating the gospel. So Paul, as he's in jail, I don't know whether he was terrified, but Paul had joy. Even though he was in jail, his zeal, his desire, his affection for the things of God never waned. So the COVID pandemic that happened, the whole of 2020 to a larger part of 2021, really showed whether Christians had joy. It really showed because some backslid, some churches closed down, some pastors left. Do you know how many pastors left the ministry and have gone to do ordinary jobs? It gauges the level of joy. The Bible says something that if, if you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is very small. No wonder the Bible says that the joy of the Lord is our strength. So one of the things that will help us to soldier on and will help us to keep our confession of faith, will help us to have zeal and still be on fire for the Lord is the fruit of joy. That is seen in the life of Paul. Paul is saying that irrespective of my condition, I still had zeal, I still had affection for the church. I pray that no matter what we go through, may our affection for the things of God, for the kingdom of God, for the church and for the saints never wane. Amen. Now let's look at Paul's prayer. He's going to pray a prayer in verses 9 to 11. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment 
that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Four things I want us to consider in Paul's prayer. Paul is praying for the Philippian church. After he spoke of his desire, his affection for them, he just didn't end there. He prayed for them. You know, one of the good Christian attributes we can all learn here is to pray for one another. Intercede. Let's call intercession. Every believer is an intercessor. Have to learn how to pray for people. Paul prayed for the Philippian church. He says, I pray that your love will abound more and more in knowledge and in discernment. So that's the first one. So Paul is praying that the Philippian church will experience abounding love. Abounding love in the knowledge and in all discernment. Knowledge here refers to precise, correct. So it's not just any knowledge. It's not scattered knowledge. It's not general knowledge. The knowledge of Christ is praying. May your love abound more and more. May your love increase. May you experience a supply of love more and more in the knowledge of Christ. Where do you find the knowledge of Christ? You find the knowledge of Christ reading the Bible. There's no secret. Knowledge is not going to come to you by osmosis. Knowledge is going to come when you pick this Bible. Because this Bible gives to us the knowledge of Christ. Your love, you are bound more and more. That's one prayer Paul prayed. Because when your love abounds more and more in the knowledge of Christ, it's easier to maintain your faith walk with God. It will abound. So likewise, may that also be our prayer tonight. This is the man of joy praying. And what he's praying for the church in Philippi is that their love will abound. The love will abound. So today, ask yourself, do I have abounding love? When, when you have this abounding love, you, will, you, 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 you won't even feel okay if, if you go one day without reading the Bible. Your love will abound. It will not just abound in Netflix movies, watching YouTube videos, going on social media, watching TikTok videos, but your love will abound more and more in the knowledge of Christ. Each and every day, you will want to read the Bible. That is an expression of joy. An expression of joy is when you always hunger towards the word. And when Jesus was on this earth, he, 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 he gave a list called the Beatitudes. That is be attitudes, you know, the attitudes of the kids. They say, blessed is the one that hunger and thirst for righteousness, when they shall, be, they shall be filled. When you hunger and thirst for divine things, God has promised he will fill them. 
So let's raise our hunger palate, our taste palate towards things of the Spirit. May your love abound more and more in the knowledge of Christ. You see, knowledge here is not general knowledge. It's precise and correct. That is knowledge in the context. You're talking about the knowledge of Christ. And I'm talking about the knowledge of Christ. We know where to get the knowledge of Christ. The Bible. They're not just all. He says that, May your love also abound more and more in discernment. Now, three versions. NIV says that, May your love abound more and more in depth of insight. So may you have deeper insights. May you be a man of deep understanding. You see, when someone has discernment, you have deep understanding. In the things of God, you have deep understanding concerning ethical and moral matters. Depthness, not shallowness. When you read King James Version, it says, may your love abound more and more in judgment. You see, when, when you have discernment, you are able to judge rightly. And what does it mean to be able to judge? You are able to distinguish between right and almost right. Most Christians who are a bit deep can distinguish between right and wrong. Black and white, real easy. Most Christians who are deep, some struggle. They are not able to clearly tell the difference between right from wrong, black or white. They, are, they struggle. But when you have this depth of insight, you are not able to discern between right and almost right. You are able to differentiate between God and good. You can differentiate. Because the person who doesn't, who doesn't have depth of insight, he will think God and good are the same. They are not the same. There's the difference between a God counsel and a good counsel. They are really the same. There are two different things. There is a difference between right and almost right. So the majority of Christians struggle with that. They might not struggle with black from white, good from bad, light from darkness. They might not struggle. But they will struggle with right and almost right. Good and God. God is good, but not all good things are God. You should be able to differentiate that. And that sometimes is a very slippery slope. For you to be able to discern, you need depth of insight. Depth of insight. So that's one of the prayers we have to pray. Because I really think that in these last days, the devil is not really deceiving uh, the majority of believers with wrong from right, good from evil, lies from darkness. I think when you have, you have grown in the Lord a bit, being able to have some roots in the Lord a bit, that distinguishing becomes a bit easy. 
I think now where the devil is angling towards is good from God. That becomes difficult because sometimes some people just lump the two and they are not the same. Right from almost right. Almost right and right. Not really the same. But when you have depth of insight, when you have discernment, you are able to differentiate it clearly just as you are able to differentiate black from white. So Paul is praying that May we have abounding love in the precise and correct knowledge of Christ and in discernment. When we look at NIV, it means depth of insight. When we look at King James Version, it means judgment. Now, let me look at another version, Amplified. It means practical insights. So when you're a believer, you're practical. You're practical. They are pragmatic. Look at Daniel. Daniel was very practical. That's a mark of excellence. Practical man with practical solutions. When you're a believer, you have practical solutions. Practical insights. You are able to give solutions that we can work with. Not abstract things. Sometimes believers who are spiritual, we like to be too abstract. We have practical insights. Practical insight is a fruit of discernment. You are very practical. Sometimes we have to be practical. Jesus was very practical. Jesus could preach and then his practicality will kick in and say, they are hungry. Let me stop the preaching. They are hungry. Get them something. You see, that's practical insights. Sometimes, believers, we are not too practical. Not too practical. It's almost as if you, if you use your mind as a sin. We have to have practical insights. Christian, you have to believe in drawing plans, strategies, define things, purposes, lay down laws, you know, write down things, initiatives, believe in writing. That's one sign of practical insight. Believe in writing, believe in documenting things. Believe in documenting things. You want to do something, look at it practically. How will you be able to do it? Draw it, point A, point B, point C. How will I be able to do it? That is a sign of discernment. So it's not just judging spiritual things. It's also practical insights, day-to-day life. Be practical. Paul is saying that may your love abound. Don't you see Paul? Paul is very practical. Look at Paul's books. It shows that he was very educated. Aside knowing the Bible, you could see some level of intelligence here. So Christians, let's be practical. Because sometimes Christians, we are not we are not practical. We are not practical. And because we are not practical, we are not able to harness everything that God has, has blessed us with in the heavenlies into the earthly realm. We are not able to see the manifestation of the God-given goals, God-given visions, God-given dreams. We are not able to see all these things in manifestation in real time. We just see it in our spirits. 
But a time comes, you have to stop seeing it in your spirit till it's being manifested in the flesh. Even Jesus, he manifested. Right? He manifested. It wasn't just something that we talked about in the sweet by and by, sweet by and by. John chapter 1, the Bible says Jesus was manifested in the flesh. So sometimes what God has given to you, what God has shown to you, it needs to be manifested in the flesh. But for it to be manifested in the flesh, you have to be a man of discernment, a man of practical insight. Amen. So now let's look at the second prayer. He says that, I pray that you may approve the things that are excellent. You may approve the things that are excellent. You see, when you look at this word excellent here, it's not talking about what Pastor Frank preached. Are you understanding me? This word excellent has more to do. You approve of the things that have virtue. You approve of the things that are Christ-like. That's the excellence he's talking about here. Not what Pastor Frank preached. Amen. So, may you approve of the things that are worthy. May you approve of the things that are virtuous. Approve of them. And in this day and age, in this political correctedness, to approve of things that are virtuous can be quite daunting. It can be quite intimidating. But Paul is saying, I pray that may you approve. Approve of the things that are noteworthy. Approve of the things that have virtue. Even Paul said it in Philippians chapter 4. Think of these things. Whatsoever is pure, just praiseworthy, of good reports. Meditate on these things. That you approved of the things that are godly. Approve of the things that have virtue. Amen. So we have to learn how to do that. We have to approve of the things that are right. Approve of the things that are scriptural. Approve of the things that are scriptural. What is scriptural? Marriage before sex. It's not a popular thing. Cohabitation is popular. So if you're a Christian, approve of what is right. Approve of what God says is okay. That means what God says is okay, you will say it's okay. Approve of divine marriage. And divine marriage is between a man and a woman. Approve of what is scripturally okay. It's called excellence. So that's what I'm saying. It's a difference between what Pastor Frank preached and what excellence is. So try and remember that. Here it means virtue. Things that are of moral upright. Things that have moral rectitude. Approve of them. Approve of what the Bible says. Not what the world is saying. The norm is saying. The popular thought is saying. 
approve of what the Bible says, approve of virtue, approve of what is praiseworthy, approve of what is in line with Scripture, approve of giving, approve of prayer, because it's the right thing to do, approve of forgiveness, approve of forgiveness. Don't approve of vengeance. Approve of forgiveness. It's the right thing to do than to hold a grudge. It's the right thing to do than, quote unquote, to pray dangerous prayers and, you know, pray this imprecatory prayers. Approve of what is right. What is in line with scripture. Paul prayed that prayer. He says, I pray that you will approve that which is right, that which is virtuous, that which has moral standards amen the third the third prayer points that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of christ i think paul put himself in his shoes he put he puts the philippians in his shoes that one day if you are imprisoned may you be sincere King James uses the word unfeigned. I like that word. It's an old English word that's really not used. Faith unfeigned. Love unfeigned. May you be sincere. And may you be without offense. Look, in this Christian work of faith, there are many chances to be offended. Many, many, many chances. Many, many chances. Many, many chances. It's not, a, it's not a walk in the park. Many chances to be offended. Lord, I prayed about this. You didn't do it. I'm offended. Lord, you didn't come through for me at the 11th hour. I, re- I read in your scriptures, you did it for Paul, but you didn't do it for me. There are many chances to be offended. But may we, may we be sincere and without offense. One day Paul says something. He says, men have to lift up their holy hands without wrath. Many of us, we lift up our hands with wrath in our hearts towards God. We pray that may we be sincere. May we be sincere. Our yea is yea, our nay is nay. May, may we not be in this faith because we want to please somebody. May you not be in this faith because you want to please Pastor Steve. May you not be in this faith because you want to please someone. Be in this faith because you are sincere. You will last longer. And without offense, may you not be offended. Because our offenses is one of the commonest things that plagues the Christian today. Jesus once said something, blessed is the man who is not offended in me. May we not be offended. May we not be offended at God. May we not be offended. Because sometimes bad things can happen. And you can't be offended. Bad things happen to good people. It happens in life. Bad things happen to good people. It happens in Christianity where God is our father, where God is love. Sometimes bad things happen to good people. And may we not be offended. Amen. The fourth thing that Paul prayed is that you will be filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ. To the glory and the praise of God. What are the fruits of righteousness? When we receive Christ as our Lord and Pastor Savior, we were righteous. We were declared righteous. 
Like I said on Sunday, you're a new creation. A new creation means a new species of being that never existed. You were righteous. And when we became righteous, we are supposed to be filled with the fruits of righteousness, of the new man. So the fruit of the Spirit is also, in a sense, called the fruits of righteousness. And many more. Not just that list, and many more. But that's one of the lists. Amen. So when you read Galatians chapter 5, verse 21, I think, verse 21 or 22, it talks about love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These nine components make up what is called the fruit of the Spirit. And then many more. Fruits of righteousness, wisdom. Fruits of righteousness, prayer. Establishing a daily connection with God. And let me end that here. Amen. So today we have looked at Paul's zeal, his love and dedication for the church, not waning, irrespective of his predicament at that time, which was he was in prison. So when we experience true joy, it doesn't really affect our zeal, our devotion, and our affection for the things of God. We've gone ahead now to also look at four things he prayed upon the Philippian church. He prayed that may they abound more in the precise and correct knowledge of Christ, which can be found in the Bible. Okay, so it's not scattered knowledge and knowledge, but knowledge in a context. Secondly, uh, uh, it's just one, one prayer topic. So the other part of the prayer topic is that may they abound in all discernment. Uh, we've looked at the word discernment. It means depth of insight, judgment, practical insight. The second prayer topic was, may they approve of the things that are virtuous. The things that are in line with God's word, approve of them. And like I said, in today's world where, you know, cancel culture is so rampant, it can be so difficult to approve of the things that God says it's correct. Three, that they may be sincere and without offense, till the day of Christ. May we have unfeigned love, unfeigned faith. May we be sincere. And then may we be without offense till the day of Christ. That's until the day of judgment. And the fourth thing is that may we be filled with the fruits of righteousness. May we be filled with the fruits of the inner man. Everything that has been afforded to the inner man, may we experience the fruits of it. Amen. So next week, we will start from verse 12 and we'll continue and we'll begin to learn more from the book of Philippians. Amen. I believe we've been blessed tonight. If you have any question or contribution, the floor is open. God bless you. We have just one minute on the clock. So if you have a contribution, you can just give it to us snappy and we'll get out of here. Amen. God bless you.
Do you have any question or contribution? It's eight o'clock. If there is no question, can one person just say what they learned today and then we'll just close? Out of everything I said, what touched your heart? What ministered to you? What lesson have you taken home that you are applying? Just in the next one minute. Yeah, what I learned from today, or what confirmed something, uh, the word the Spirit of God has placed on my heart. Because I think I've discussed this with you. I said that uh, if we Christians, we, we, we think that Jesus Christ came to die so that we will have a good life on, on this, uh, just that, to have a happy ending and all that, then we're missing the point. You made a point, you touched on it, that uh, confirm what I've been thinking about. Amen. All right. So today, I just want, I just want you to do something in your spare time before you sleep. Can you read Romans, sorry, Philippians chapter 1, verse 9 to 11? And the four prayer points that Paul prayed upon the Philippian church. Can you pray that upon yourself before you sleep tonight? How many of us will do it? Give me an emoji and let me know how many of us will do it. I want to see. Am I the only one going to do it? Can you repeat that? Philippians chapter 1 verse 9 to 11. The, the four, the four um, prayer points that Paul prayed for the church. How many of us are going to do it? Okay. All right. Okay. So it's only two of us that are going to do it. How many of us? So read it and pray those four four prayer points before you sleep. That your love will abound. I'm hearing myself. That your love will abound more and more in the knowledge of Christ and in all these elements. That you may approve the things that are virtuous, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. And that you will be filled with the fruits of righteousness. God answers prayers. God answers prayers. If you pray that, God will answer your prayer. And then watch the manifestation of those prayers between two. happen. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word tonight. We bless your holy name. We pray that we will not forget your word. We will be doers of your word. Thank you, Lord, for what we've learned tonight. And thank you that most importantly, we'll be doers of it. And Father, as we even read these scriptures to pray over it, shed more light upon your scriptures. In Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys. Good night. God willing, we meet on Saturday, 7 p.m. to 8.15. We'll be having work of ministry seminar. And uh, the topic is when all don't seem to work. So I, I believe we'll all be here represented and then we will learn something on that. I believe God is really going to minister to us on Saturday night. So please, I'm expecting all of you on Saturday night. Don't forget 
7 p.m. to 8.15. Good night.